going to share again. So we laid that. Did you know that scientists tell us that this stinking human brain really doesn't get it unless you've heard it 70 times? Where have you heard 70s? 70 times 7? You're going to keep hearing it. Keep preaching it, my brother Wes. Because we just don't get it. So here's another layer of these precious feasts. And may you come to know him in all his glory. Because these fall feasts are related to the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 24, and they're saying, when are you coming back? Tell us now. He says, well, no man knows the day nor the hour. I've heard this preached, because believe me, I've been in a lot of denominations through my life growing up. And I'm not against denominations other than that God never planned them, because he wants us one. You you understand what I mean? I don't have some agenda. He's going to have his way someday. But that was an idiom of the day, kids. That was a saying. That's like, uh, don't step on the cracks or you'll break your mother's back. It, it was some saying. But they understood it. We don't understand it. The idiom in that saying, no man knows the day nor the hour, referred to the feast of trumpets and the silver sliver of the moon because these fall feasts begin with the Feast of Trumpets. And when the priest would go up on the mountain to get ready to blow the trumpet, that this was the day, they didn't have the date coming up on their watch or their Fitbit or whatever. And they would go up there. But if it was cloudy and if God was delaying it for some reason, they wouldn't see it. So they would not blow the trumpet. But if you read the law of God... They could do that for three nights. But if they still didn't see it on the third night, and there's a lot of prophetic stuff in here, let me tell you, it's juicy and tender tender and better than any of the best primary ever, tender light you've ever had. But on the third day, they would do it anyway. They would blow the trumpet. Some years we have to um, add days to our calendar, don't we, to make all the solar systems right? God had a way to set the calendar, to set the calendar and make up for it. I just love his ways. So this was an idiom. No man knows the day nor the hour. And as we use God's calendar, we know that these feast dates change every year. And they go, why do you guys keep changing the dates? We could just ask for that year off and it would be so much easier. But God changes the dates. Next year it will be in October. These feasts are rich. Jesus wasn't born, I'm sorry to tell you, he really wasn't born on December 25th. We now have computers and technology that can teach us about the heavens and the constellations, and we know that he was born on the Feast of Trumpets. Some say September 29th of one year. But his birthday changes every year. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? In, In the aspect of trumpets. Because he might have been September 29th of trumpets one year, but trumpets falls on a different date the next year. You see, no man knows the day nor the hour. Only the Father. He will make that decision when that silver sliver is shining. 
and the trumpets are commanded and the angels are commanded to blow the trumpets. And we know there will be a first resurrection. And then we know that after those trumpets blow and those overcomers, the first resurrection, Paul was running the race. He said, I want to be in the number of the first resurrection. He didn't want to wait for the second one. It's a privileged place. He counted it as a privilege. I'm willing to die for it. That's the heart. And that's the heart of an overcomer. It's the heart of an overcomer. I've seen many of you come in here with a big O on your forehead. The overcomer mark. The mark on your forehead. And trumpets and some of the dead in Christ and the overcomers will be raised up. And there's 10 days for the earth to see this phenomena. Can you imagine how the computer's going to shut down and Google is just not even going to happen because everybody's on it trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And then the wailing and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and the upset in a lot of Christianity because they didn't know They did not understand these seasons of God. Are you hearing me? We were given the best. I've heard almost every rapture ideology (laughs) there is. All I know is we're doing this pre. He keeps, we don't know everything. It's going to be his way. But you've got to have some of this information so you're not caught off guard because he said, no man knows the hour or the day, but I'm going to let you know the season. And these are the seasons of the feast. Are you hearing me? Are you getting this? Now dig. Dig in and start studying and ask God and the Holy Spirit to be your teacher. I'm available anytime. You can debate with me on it. We can talk. We can share the word. Whatever you want to do. But I want you to know that these feasts are important in our future and the coming of Jesus. And in those eight days, we have atonement and the whole world will atone. There will be fasting. There will be weeping and gnashing. Something's coming and Jesus is coming. And then there's five days after atonement. And then there's an eight-day glorious in-gathering. What did Father say? What did Jesus say? He's gonna, the angels are going to come for the four corners. There's going to be an ingathering. And we're going to be having a wedding feast going on. And you see, we need that five days because the bride's got to bride's get dressed. You know. Dana just talked to us and gave us a word a few days ago about kings and priests. Well, you better read about what Aaron did when God instituted the priesthood. There's cleansing. There's certain garments you have to wear. There's a time that you have to be set aside for this thing. You see, they're going to be getting their new bodies. Are you hearing me? They're going to be getting their new bodies. Those who have gone on. Those who have died. And those who haven't died the word says those who remain at the coming, what happens to them, Wes? They, 
they had changed. Did you know you didn't have to die to get this transfiguration, this glorification, this new body? That's been my heart cry. I hope I sow that seed in some of you because if I go on before you, believe me, I'm running like Paul as much as I know how. And I want you to remember this. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Sorry, Holly, but we're just going to take the time. Your weakness. I don't know what uh, Joy is going to speak about tonight, but I want to say this. We just had a prophet come through here recently, and this has been something God's taught me since October 15th last year and my fight this past year. Paul said, I'll boast. The only thing I'm going to really boast about is my weakness. Who comes and boasts about their weakness? Do you want to get up and tell me about your weakness? No, we want to greet people, put on the smile. We want to give them our books and tell them we are strong. Right? Paul said, guess what? It was at the end of his life. He's begun to understand that in all the times that he tried to cover up his weaknesses and deal with them in his own flesh all the time, all the time he thought that was a thorn in his flesh, one of the thorns, God said, I am made strong. So when the enemy comes to plague you with your weaknesses or point the finger of accusation, whatever, you just declare the word because at that moment that you do, God's strength will increase and you will have joy. And we all know that the joy of the Lord is our... And you will rejoice in your weakness that he will be made strong because that's his promise. This isn't dependent on you. If God makes a promise, that used to be in the old way. In the, the only thing in the covenants before is it depended on what you did about it. But the new covenant, there is the true grace of God. There is the atonement. Don't lose heart. You are going to speak. But are you hearing... hear, have ears to hear and eyes to see. Let's move. There's a shift coming. We're hitting towards the middle of the feast. And in the word, Jesus, they would say, come on, come up to the Feast of Tabernacles with us. And he said, well, no, I'm not coming because it's not my time. And they're like, well, what are you talking about? Like, but we didn't get it because his first coming was associated with Passover. Christ, our Passover, the Passover lamb. But his second coming, he finished that work. He laid his life down, and the blood now covers our sin. Amen? So we can operate. But when the feast comes... All the Passover celebrations before told the story for millennia 
Passover lamb. Kill the lamb, sprinkle the blood. Cover the lentils. There's another story about Jesus. It's at the Feast of Atonement. It wasn't a lamb they sacrificed. It was two goats. One goat's blood, his throat. That blood was taken in once a year. I want you to know, some people think it was lamb blood. It wasn't. It was two goats, kids. Read your Bible. That blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. Then when that was done, they came back out. When the priest came out, he laid hands on the other goat without blemish. Was he blessing the goat? No. Actually, it was a curse. It was the judgment of God on all the sins. And that's the first time we see in the Bible the law, it's not written, the law of transference. You hear? The spiritual law of transference. Just as we can speak both blessing and curse out out of our mouth, you can lay hands on someone and transfer something. It, It happens all the time and rapes and murders and things like that. Those spirits. All the sins, all the spirits, everything that had happened in Israel that whole year was transferred to this goat. And what happened to it, Holly? Because I asked her if she knew last night. The second goat, they would take it out into the wilderness. They were supposed to just let it go, but we try and help God, and so they would push the goat off a cliff to make sure it died. Now, they were supposed to let it go to a man that was ready to receive it. This invisible man was meant to be the Holy Spirit that would take and deal with this. But she just told you, what do we like to do? We like to help God. We like to help God. They did not want that goat. See, it's just the thing. They didn't have the faith, nor did they have the trust in God to fulfill what he told them to do. So they helped him and shoved it over the cliff so that thing would not come back to haunt them. They were terrified the sins would come back in sometime that year. Somebody would see that goat, oh, I saw the goat! Thank you. So Jesus was the lamb. He typed out the prophetic type of the first goat with the blood on the mercy seat. When he returns... What does he ride in on? A white horse. What is he wearing? Yeah, I mean, come on. What, what, Dana? Yeah, oh, he, he's got to have a crown. Because in the first work, he received the scepter, right? King. They called him king. So a crown. And what, what, else, what is he wearing? Ah, that's what I'm after. Yes, all these are the right answers. But he comes in this robe dipped in blood. Do we know anything else? See, Jacob gave his son Joseph the double portion blessing. He gave Joseph and his seed, the sons he adopted, the birthright. That meant they alone had the right to use their father's name. 
which was Israel. That's why when the tribes split up, and there were two kings now in the family group, one was Judah and one was Israel. Those are the lost tribes that were taken out. We have in our hour the fight over immigration. This nation was founded. I'm getting away. I've got to go back to the goat. Everybody's worried. I have lots of Messianic friends. I pray for them, that they don't enter into the pride of their roots. Guess what? It doesn't make any of us special. Amen? Who is Israel? Where are these lost tribes? Who are these people that have lost their identity and they don't know? They literally have genetic DNA that is so mingled. And they came across the Caucasus Mountains and they went into Europe and they went into the world. And then God founded the United States of America and opened the shores for his freedom and his word. And though they had lost their identity, they immigrated into this country. Come on. Who is Israel? You are Israel. You have been grafted in. You didn't have to have a relative that you're surely was born in Israel somewhere, kids. The second goat. Jesus is coming with a robe dipped in blood. Who else do we know that had a robe dipped in blood? Joseph. He's coming. He finished his first work. He received the birthright of Judah. He got the scepter. He got the crown. But he's coming to finish his work in the earth. In the millennial reign. Come on. He's coming to do the Joseph birthright. He's coming to set up the kingdom. To reveal the laws of the Father. It's not a democracy. You love our democratic ways, but trust me, it's not. It's a theocracy. And what he says goes. Okay? Nobody likes Trump because, you know, he kind of, they call him a dictator. Well, some may call him a dictator. Jesus. But it, it is what it is. It's his way. Come on, he's king. It's his king. You know, it, he gets his inheritance. But the relationship with the second goat, the first one was shed blood to cover the sins of Israel. The other one was taken away. Jesus comes back not to just cover our sins now with his blood, but to literally remove, just like they removed the goat that had had the sins, it was a sign to tell them that there was a day coming that God was not just going to cover their sins with blood. He was literally going to remove them from the earth and from them forever. How awesome is that? We need to know about these seasons. And these are things to look forward to. Can you imagine waking up with no sin in the earth? We don't even know what that feels like. I just tried to describe you what it's like to be in the spirit realm and out of your body and the freedom you have. The laws of gravity 
are no hindrance to you. You can stand on solid ground when you can't see a thing under your feet and just it stands, feels like you're standing on a mountaintop of rock. How does that happen? No limitations. Total freedom. So, Just for clarity, in Zechariah 3, where Joshua was standing before the Lord, and Satan was there. And Jesus said, remove his filthy garments, crown him and clothe him. That is the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement when Jesus returns. We work hard the best we can to humble ourselves and repent. He's made a way for us to be forgiven. But what will he be when we actually experience what Joshua experienced? And that's removed. Then you become clothed with his righteousness. Amen. Thank you. I'm going to try and get through this as quickly as possible. We'll see how that goes. Um, as she said, I am going to be talking about uh, the feasts, but we're going to be looking at it in a different angle than, um, than I've seen it before as I was setting it out. So uh, to cover where we're going, in Leviticus 23, there are seven feasts. We start with Passover. The next day is unleavened bread. After the Sabbath, we have first fruits. And then uh, 50 days later, we have Pentecost. We skip down four months, thereabouts, and we have the Feast of Trumpets. Then there's the Day of Atonement. And we finish with the Feast of Tabernacles, seven. That does a lot of things in seven. Seventy days. That is something I did not know either. And then there's the Sabbath every seventh day within those. Um, there are many amazing truths, lessons, revelations, and secrets hidden and not so hidden throughout them. We hope to look at one of them. She has covered a lot. Um, and we're just going to look at it a little bit different, though. I'm going to be able to cut out some stuff because she already covered it. God does that. Um, We find in the Gospels that Jesus asked questions to the church in each feast. We find these questions either himself asking during the feast itself or contextually through idioms that uh, those in the day knew were in reference to the feasts. As I searched these out, I found a seamless timeline between the betrothal process and the feasts and those questions, and I realized that these questions are about intimacy. And I believe that these are questions that he asks each of us as individuals and the church as the bride as a whole. Um, And as we go through our spiritual walk, you'll find that you're probably at one of these feasts in your process. some of us like to circle back around, like we'll get thus far and then we go back to Passover and then <laughs> we, we keep going back until we learn what we need to learn. Um, and as well, as she said, that there's a, we've, we've completed through Pentecost and now we're, we're waiting for trumpets. So as the church as a whole, we are also in a position, and so I'm going to pause there when I get there to kind of talk about where the church is as a whole with those kinds of questions. So... Um, 
the betrothal process uh, in Jesus' day in the culture. So what would happen is a man would decide that this is the girl he wants to marry. He wants her. And so he and his father would go to her father, and they would say, he'd say, I want your daughter. And they would haggle it out, uh, what the bride price was, what she was worth, which was common in most cultures. What was different about the Jewish culture is that most cultures, once that was decided, it was done. In the Jewish culture, the girl had a choice. And so once they had decided, the father said, yes, I agree to this price, but we're going to let her decide. And so they'd bring her in, and they'd tell her the stipulations. They'd say, this is what the bride price has been agreed upon. What do you think? Do you want to marry this man? And what, the way they would do it is the, the young man would take a cup, and he would pour it with wine, and he would offer it to her. And he would say, this is a new covenant in my blood. And if she decided to take his proposal, she would drink the cup. If she did not think the bride price was enough, she'd set the cup down and walk out of the room and be like, you've got to keep discussing, I'm worth more than that. Um, or if she said, no, I absolutely will not marry this man, she would pour the wine out. Um, in this, uh, if you've ever been to a Jewish ceremony, a lot of them don't know why. In the reception, the man takes a, a wine goblet, puts it in a bag, and he stamps on it. And what that's symbolizing is, is from back in there, that day is, is he said, I will never offer this cup to another. You have my covenant. And so here we are in Passover, when we start this, and Jesus we see in Luke 22:20, 20, it says, In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. And for us, we're like, oh, that sounds awesome. And for the disciples, 12 men are like, crap, this man just proposed. <laughs> like, what is happening? And yet, they understood the fullness. There was an understanding that he laid out for them in that of, will you marry me? And so for me, it revolutionized. It completely revolutionized my perspective of communion, that when I take that, I am saying yes. I am renewing my vows. I am saying yes, I took your cup. This is what this is. And, and I believe that that is why it says that people were taking it and getting sick and falling asleep because they were just drinking it without renewing their vows and they were not staying true. Side tangent, sorry, I'm going to get back on point. Uh, so I feel that the question in Passover is, will you be in covenant with me? Will you take my cup? And will you drink it? Sorry. And I feel like the American church, we have a habit of taking the cup and then we look at ourselves, and instead of saying your price was enough, we set it down and say it's not enough, my sin is too much. We don't pour it out, we don't say no, I don't want you. But again, we keep putting it on the table saying no, no, I'm, I'm not worthy of that price. Or we don't understand the price and we get prideful and indignant and say no, I'm worth more than that price. I caution that. And if you, I've, I've found it when you're looking at it, and I find it in myself that when I'm 
stepping out of intimacy, that's what's happening, is I'm, instead of drinking the cup, I'm setting it down. So the day after Passover, we go into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. If you do not know, in the, according to that timeline, we have Passover. Jesus celebrates with his disciples. That means he died on unleavened bread. And, um, and in the Passover, just before the cup, he says he takes the afikomen that has been broken and the unleavened bread, and he says, this is my body broken for you. And so he clarifies that this is, he is the bread of life. And uh, as I was searching that out and I was looking at it, I, uh, I was reminded of another place where he's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood over in John chapter 6, verses 48 through 58. Leading up to it, he fed the 5,000. Then he went up on the mountainside. His disciples go. He walks across the water. He joins them. They're like, where the heck did he go? Then they find him. And they're like, hey, Moses gave you know, signs and wonders. Won't you give signs and wonders? And uh, in fact, M- Moses gave them bread from heaven. <laughs> you know, you fed us yesterday. You want to feed us again today? And, uh, and he says that uh, the bread didn't come from Moses. That bread came from the Father. And then uh, starting in verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. But this is the bread which comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Again, he's telling them what he's going to do. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. So understanding this, that they, under, they know that, that sinless bread, as leaven represents sin. This is him standing it. And there's a point relationally uh, to jump back into the betrothal section, so she said yes, she's taken the cup, and then there's this relationship that has to be developed, okay? And we, we uh, find ourselves in this relationship, and Jesus keeps going, do you want my hand? Do you want my works? Do you want my signs and wonders, or do you want me? Now, understanding, when you have him, you have the rest, but if you're only here for what he can do for you, this is not an intimate relationship, and he didn't offer his cup of covenant for something that isn't intimacy. 
He wants intimacy. And again, this is, this is before the wedding. This is relational intimacy. And that is what he wants with you. There's a point in relation after she drinks the cup that the questions of intimacy get pushed back and forth. Do you really believe I'm worth that cost, she asks. And he says, are you just here for the free food? And in it, he slips this in and it just messes me up. He says, abide in me. When you take food into yourself, you taste it and you know it. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. There is a knowing. There is an experience when you take him into yourself. And that's what this question is about, is, is do you want me or do you want intimacy? Do you, will you abide with me is the question of unleavened bread. And the beauty there is he takes his sinless self and he puts it into your sinful self and that sin is pushed out. Next, we have first fruits, and again, in the sense of Jesus' last Passover, and then we have his crucifixion on the first day of unleavened bread. Then we have the Sabbath, because the first fruits will not come before the Sabbath. And then the next day is first fruits, which is Sunday, which we know is the resurrection day. And uh, Paul talks about it, and, and Hebrews talks about how he was the first fruits of many brethren to be resurrected. And we, we miss that because we don't know the feasts. That that's what he's, he's talking about, the feast of first fruits, that Jesus was, came back up as, as the beauty that they would put down their first, they'd put down their tithe and God would give them abundance. He would resurrect their gift. And that's the harvest is what first fruits is about. So we look what happened on the day of his resurrection. He asks actually a lot of questions, and so I had to figure out which one I was going to. So in Luke 24, 36 and 38 is what we're going to. And to tell you what's happened, so Jesus is resurrected. He's talked to the women, and we get to, uh, Luke tells the story of the road of Emmaus, and he's walking with them, and they don't know it's him. And then he breaks the bread, and they realize it's him, and then he disappears. And so they go immediately. With, it says they leave within the hour, and they go to the disciples, and they're like, dude, the, the women were right. He is resurrected. We, we met him on the road to Emmaus. And then they're like, oh, what happened? And then he appears to them, right? And they're scared. <laughs> they're like, he just walked through the wall. What happened? No limitations. And it says, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit, but he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Because we fall into the lie that he can't provide what he said he's going to provide. That we can't let go of the seed that he's given us that he can resurrect it. Why do you doubt? Do you trust me? It's the question of first fruits. And I'm, I'm reminded that Abraham had to lay down Isaac. And when he laid down his promise in knowing that the name of God said that he would resurrect him because he's a man of his word, 
what he learned in that place, though he had known different names of God before, what he learned there was the name Jireh, provider. And so as we're in relationship with God and we're, we're moving toward that, that marriage supper of the Lamb, he's saying, I need you to understand that I am your Jireh. Why do you doubt Don't you trust me? Learn to trust me. This is a relationship. There is give and there is take. And as you are developing the knowing, we come here to First Fruits and we we have the question, why do you doubt? Moving on. Uh, The next feast uh, we have is Pentecost. So we know that Jesus was resurrected. He met with them and it says he walked and talked with them for 40 days. And we know that from first fruits to Pentecost is 50 days. And so what happens is he walks with them, and they're like, no, he's, he's really here, and multiple people have seen him. And as, uh, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem for the gifts the Father has promised. We see that in Acts 4. It says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father has promised, which, he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And they had to wait for ten days. I don't know if they had figured out yet that he was so detailed with the feast. I mean, they've been participating, but I bet they were like, okay, so when is this going to, we're going to go up and we're going to pray. Like three days in, they got to be like, okay. (laughs) Well, he was resurrected on the third day, so maybe he's going, no, it's not here. And they have to wait a total of ten days. Um, before the Spirit comes. But again, in the betrothal, something that's beautiful. So what happens is the woman accepts, but he can't just go marry her right away. The custom said he had to go to his father's house and he had to build her house for her to come live with him. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That's what he said. And he tells us that there will be many mansions and there are many rooms in the house. That's in John 15. And so, and so he has to go away and he has to prepare the place. And again, reference there, the only, he could not go get, he couldn't like throw up a shanty and be like, I'm ready, let's go. <laughs> The father had to say, it's ready. Is it ready yet, Dad? No. Mm-mm. you got to fix that. That bed is not comfortable. you got to get, get a few more things on there. That roof is leaking. you got to fix that there. That wall is probably going to fall over. we got to reinforce it over there. You want this to be a place for her to come and, and abide with you. you got to get it right. And so, again, the father is the one who decided when he could come get her. But the question there is, will you wait? So what Pentecost asks, will you wait for me to finish preparing the place for you? This is going to be the longest wait of your life because, yeah, they had to wait for 10 days for the gift of the promise. We got the longest section here between feasts before trumpets comes when he's coming back for his bride. Will you wait? I have, an, I have been in a season of waiting a long time now. God, I've, I've moved from sitting to standing. It's great. 
People are like, that looks like the same thing. You're still not moving. I'm like, no, this is sitting and this is standing. I'm standing. I feel like Bob the Tomato. But <laughs> this is here. And, uh, and so in it, I had to learn how to wait and what the advantages of wait. So I started studying out the word wait. And there are a lot of verses about waiting in the Bible. And uh, the Hebrew word for wait that we see most. And again, in Acts, it's in Greek. So it might have been the word he used. I cannot guarantee that. What I can tell you is that in Isaiah, it says those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. That wait... There are a few other ways that I'm going to cut off because I'm going to try and keep going. That Hebrew word is kava. In English-ish, it's spelled Q-A-V-A-H. Kava. And kava has four basic translations. Kava means to wait with expectancy. Earnestly wait. It means to wait like a server waits on a table. It's an active word. And it means... To listen as you wait. And then this one has just messed me up. Kava means to bind together as a rope. So what happens is when you are waiting with someone or for someone, you're binding your soul together with them. This is why there's that section. People say it's just preparing for the wedding. No, there's a binding of souls. If God puts you in a season of waiting, it's because he's binding you together because a, a cord of three strands is not easily broken, and there's a wind that wants to come through, and you will break if you haven't waited for the power. So kava is the waiting. The question is, will you wait? And that is where we are as the church as a whole. We are waiting, but it is not a sit-around Wait. It is not a let your hope be deferred wait. But it seems like it <laughs> some days. And so he gives us the hint. It's like it's just okay. The Feast of Trumpets is coming. And the question of the Feast of Trumpets is will you be ready? And again, back to our parallel. So what would happen is he's, he's worked, he's got this house finally ready. The dad says, you can go get your girl. So he has, uh, sent, he has a friend in his stead who goes and delivers letters and talks to her and is making sure that she's ready. And so he gets to go to the friend of the bridegroom and says, I get to get her tonight. And so the friend of the bridegroom, son goes down, goes and shouts, well, before the son goes down, goes and shouts to the city, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him so that she knows, oh, all that stuff that I've been preparing right over here, my wedding dress, my wedding gems, I got to get those on. I got to go get my bridesmaids and make sure their lamps are ready. I got to get ready and I got to go because he's coming and the, the call has come. And so are you, are you ready? That's, what, that's where we're at. And, and the Holy Spirit is calling with the bride, hey, guys, we got to be ready. He's coming. Hey, guys, we got to be ready. He's coming. And what happens is instead of just waiting, there's a preparation that happens. And that is where we are as a church. We are in preparation for the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, and again, she actually already covered about uh, the idiom there with that question. Uh, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Preparation keeps 
us from letting our hope get deferred. He woos us in this place. I don't know if you've ever known a bride who is in love with her groom, and as she's getting everything about the wedding day is about getting ready for that. Everything about the wedding day is about getting ready for the intimacy. Everything about the wedding day is the wooing that when she does it, she's thinking of him and he's thinking of her, and that is what's happening. And uh, keeps you have to keep your eyes on him. The problem is when you don't take your eyes on, take your eyes off him. You're still preparing. What happens is you get bridezilla who's preparing for the day and not for the groom. And that's a lie that the church falls into is we become bridezillas looking forward to the day of his return, but not to the groom who's coming back for us. So don't get caught up in your preparations and not knowing that you're keeping your eyes on him. Moving on to the day of atonement. Atonement breaks down to at one meant. At one meant. Will you be one with me? John 17, 20 and 21, he says, he's talking to the Father. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, meaning his disciples there, but for all who, but those also who will believe in me, that's us, through their word that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may know and believe that you sent me. He literally offers you an opportunity to come into the triuneness of God. That is what he wants for you. And again, the church as a whole, we haven't, quite been able to reach that yet, but as an individual, he offers you the opportunity in your walk with him to be there, because he is outside of time. At one minute, and again, the, the reason we have that is when he would go, it says in Hebrews that he took, he was in the order of Melchizedek, and he took the blood of that goat, and he put it on the heavenly temple to cleanse the heavenly temple, because God is perfect, and we are not. And we have to, he has to cover that sin. He has to take away that sin so that we can be one with him. That's what it's about. It's about creating a way for God to be one with man. That's what the uh, Feast of Atonement is about. And again, as a church, what it represents in that picture is, is the wedding, the at one that's where we're going. And it's already 12 o'clock, and I've got one more feast. I'm going to try and keep going. I'm so sorry. Um, yes, ma'am. So again, he's coming, and, and we will be able to be one with him because he has made the way, and he has sacrificed his blood. And what comes after that? The Feast of Tabernacles. The marriage supper of the Lamb. The party of all parties. The greatness of all greatness. And part of the, part of the wedding there, there's all sorts of things inside the Hebrew wedding that I'm actually going to 
going to skip over because it's slightly irrelevant. The point is the oneness. But they would go and they would consummate that marriage right there in the side room so that they could say that she was still a virgin, that she had made sure that she was pure, that she had made sure that she was clean, that she was prepared for him. During that feast, that one mint is what happened. And the question there is, uh, well, let me go to the scripture so that I'm not just out of context. It says uh, in John 7:37, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, referring to the Feast of Tabernacles, she mentioned that they said, is, you know, are you going up to the feast? And he said, no, it's not my time. And, but then he made his way in secret. So he's made his way up, and he's here at the feast. And in the feast, there was this portion where they would wave these massive branches to create a wind in the temple. And there was a water ceremony. And they would bring forth this water, and they would pour it out, and the entire room would be silent to hear the water. So in the middle of this very sing, you know, sacred moment, the water is pouring, everyone's trying to hear it. The wind, you know, they've stopped all of the movement, and he stands up, and he says, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Are you thirsty? Will you be satisfied? Do you want to just let you know, my water, do you just want to drink my water, or do you want to be one with me so that it can flow out of you and heal the land? Do you want to be one with me so that I am living water inside of you just seeping out into everyone around you? Will you be satisfied with me or will you go look for something else? That's the question of tabernacles. Is are you thirsty? Do you want that water in your belly? And do you want do you want to be so satisfied? that it makes other people thirsty? That's the question of the Feast of Tabernacles. That is the, the, the call. This is the seven questions that I found in intimacy in relationship is, and I, and I had to ask, am I, am I still just playing with the cup? I'm going to drink it. I'm not going to drink it. I'm going to set it down because of my doubts or my inhibitions or my pride or my insecurity, am I going to drink the cup? And then am I going to take him, the pure, unleavened bread, into myself, and will he be enough, or am I looking for what he can do for me? Am I just here for the free food? And again, fresh foods, do, do I trust him? I find that we get... I get stuck there a lot. Like something will happen, and I'll be like, "Oh God, how is this going to work out?" And he's like, "Do you trust me?" Like, yes, I choose to trust you. <laughs> Help me. I have faith. Help me to have more faith. Yes, I will trust you. And uh, and why do you doubt? Have I not proven that I am Jira? 
that I can provide everything you need? And will you wait? I would say if you've never been in a waiting season, part of me is like, I hope you don't have to go through it. It's pretty rough. (laughs) But part of me, having learned Kava, I hope you get the opportunity because being bound to him is like nothing else. And even um, waiting with my husband in this season, that there were, there were some not-so-bound places in our marriage, and he sent us into waiting, and those have been bound together. And there are, there are friends that I didn't know that they were that close, and then we go into this waiting season, and we are bound together. And even as a church, in the simple waiting on the Spirit of God, what will happen is you will be bound together as a congregation and with the Holy Spirit. Kava, will you wait? And will you be ready? Are you being complacent? Are you saying, okay, I'm going to stand here, and God moves, and you're like, but it's still really comfortable here. <laughs> My feet hurt. I don't think I can walk. <laughs> And he's like, but I'm moving on. Will you be prepared? Or are you just going to wait for me? Are you stuck on the last feast? Or will you move on and be ready? And will you be one with me? He wants intimacy with you. He wants you to be part of him and, and him to be part of you. Will you be one with me? And you cannot get there. You cannot get to the at-one-ment unless you've said yes to the covenant, unless you agree to desire him and not his hand, unless you agree to wait for him and tarry with him and be ready for him. You, can't get, you won't even get here if, you won't, if you're not ready. Like you, can't, you can't get there. And so in your walk, I, I encourage you, if you want intimacy with the Father and you feel like you're having trouble getting there, Look at the steps and see which one you haven't got into place. Do you trust him? And once that comes, will you be satisfied? I don't know how you cannot be satisfied, but we are crazy people. (laughs) Stupid, stupid people. (laughs) Will you be satisfied? Will you let his living water flow out through you? And will you make those around you thirsty? Will you make them thirsty? That, I believe, is all I have for you today. Is there any verses that you guys needed references for or questions before I hand this mic over? I can email them. It's just in notes. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> They're awful, aren't they? Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. We open our hands to receive.
not to receive from me, but to receive from him. I don't have anything to give you that he has not given me. Father, I thank you that you would reveal to us that we are your bride. That you have paid the bride price. And though it is more than we deserve, it is the price that our Father has declared over us. I thank you for the wisdom to understand who you say we are. That we may be able to sit with you in high places. Father, I thank you that your spirit of revelation would go into our minds and into our hearts, that we would know and we would understand, that we would not be under the curse of those who can hear and not perceive, see and not perceive, and hear and not understand, but that we would perceive and we would understand that uh, your feasts would come alive to us and that, that these, as we search this out, that new revelation would come, that we would know you deeper. We thank you that you are a God of seasons and of patterns and that you reveal yourself to us. Give us a revelation of this process and where we are. Make us aware of where we are that we may move forward. Help us to live in atonement with you. Help us to be satisfied with you. Help us to be so satisfied that everyone around us is jealous for our satisfaction. Father, I thank you that you would pour out your spirit and that your living waters would ignite in their bellies. That they would flow out and create a river that flows out of this place into everywhere that they go. That the river's currents would be so strong that people would be caught up in them and be overwhelmed by your goodness and overwhelmed by your grace and overwhelmed by your mercy. I thank you that you are binding us together. Thank you that you are in the the waiting with us here and now. I thank you that you are binding these people together as they receive your revelation. Stir our hearts that we may be ready. Stir our hearts that we are not complacent. Help us to trust you and to trust you more. Help us to trust you, God. Overcome our doubts. Erase our doubts, God. Clear the slate. Help us to understand that you are a man of your word that you would not lie, no matter how many men have lied before. Help us to understand that you are good even when the world isn't good. Help us to know that you are a good father even when our physical fathers were not good. Help us to understand your kindness, that it may lead us to repentance. May these truths reach down deep into our souls as deep cries out to deep. 
May they pass by the common things of our minds and reach down into our souls so that our mind cannot unthink them. Because once you know something, it doesn't matter what anyone else tells you, you know it. Like a woman who knows that there's a quickening in her womb, no matter what you tell her, she knows that there is life inside of her. Father, give us that kind of knowing. Give us that kind of knowing of your word and of your presence and of the rivers of living water that you would love to flow through our bellies. And I ask, Father, for an understanding that we would be able to articulate to those around us who are thirsty because we are we are rivers of living water, that they would become thirsty, that our words would be, able, would be your words, the very words of God, we would be able to articulate what you have done, that the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony would make a way. Thank you, Father. We thank you for your revelation. I thank you for your revelation. I thank you that I could not have found this on my own, only the Spirit of God moving on your scriptures and revealing it to me. I thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are a good teacher. And may we go out from here in the assurance, blessed assurance of knowing your truth. For those who have never heard of these types of feasts and the, the cultures around them, that, that understanding would come to them even without their past knowledge. I thank you that, that they would be able to understand it even more than the rabbis who study them. I thank you that you said that we have your mind, the mind of Christ, and you are the one who orchestrated them. Give us that understanding. Give us that understanding. Thank you for honoring us and choosing us and cherishing us as your bride. Help us to stand as your bride. Help us to stand as your bride. I thank you that in betrothal they were already considered married. It was done. The covenant was laid. I thank you that even though we are waiting for that day, we are already yours. We are already yours. And you do not believe in divorce. If you want to be one with us. And that our, our inhibitions and our failures and our mess mean nothing because you clothe us with your righteousness. When the Father looks at us, he sees us through you. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. I thank you for the bride price that you are willing to pay. I thank you, God. I thank you. Thank you when we give you all the honor and glory, and power. There is none like you. You are holy. You are holy. You are holy. The whole earth is filled with your glory. 
May we walk in that knowledge and walk in the beauty of your glory in everything that we do because you fill it already. I thank you for the mark of your bride. I thank you that you put a ring on it. I thank you for these things. And again, we we praise you and we thank you for your revelation. Thank you for breathing it. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, amen. Don't shift in the spirit yet. Wes, are you having any anointing on your hands or no? Well, I'm feeling that anointing, and uh, it's not something I normally get, so I thought, well, are you having it? I just uh, we're not we're we're going to change. We're going to be led of the spirit. All the speakers know. I don't want her to have to cram what she has to share. And there's an anointing here. It will totally shift everything. And although we were told to shift the narrative, I don't want to shift the narrative. Refuse what we heard last night of what God is speaking right now, right? Because when you eat a huge meal, and somebody's prepared a delicious dessert, you don't appreciate it. Are you following me? Are you okay with that, sister? I know she is. She is. Well, we will, and I know Betty's willing to share her time tomorrow morning. She is going to be speaking tomorrow morning. But she'll share with that so you guys can talk about it. But, I mean, uh, no, let's not. uh, We just, everybody just taking a deep breath and say how good that meal was. How good the meal and the banquet he's prepared for us this morning, all of it, from the intimate moments of just our meditation on him this morning as we prepare to receive him. Uh, I I did see, you know, we've got angel visitations here during this. I don't, I'm not the kind of person that talks about all this hoopla. Some people talk about it too. to ad nauseum, but there is an angelic presence that's been standing here in our midst, not trying to take the place of God, but it's been a messenger angel to anoint because right here is the flame of his eternal presence that I've seen manifesting and growing. You know, we have that fake one on top of that ark. This is the real deal. And there's an anointing here in holiness. So that's why it was important to me. It's been here. Uh, it was manifesting larger and larger before everybody even arrived here. Since atonement. In that five days. So uh, I want everybody that's going to speak up here to really be prepared for that. It's about him. And you've brought that to us this morning. Um so I'm just going to lay my hands on you with this anointing. Uh, could somebody come hold this microphone for me? I just want to lay both my hands on. Holly, there's there's a change coming for you in this new season. 
Everything you've gone through so far, you've said it's worth it. It's worth it. There's a fire from heaven that's coming upon you. You don't fear it. Let it come and manifest. Come on up. Anybody that wants this can have it. <laughs> this is not just for Holly. Amen. So just receive it. Receive this manifestation of impartation, holiness. As sweet as you minister, I saw flames coming out of your mouth. These flames aren't like flamethrowers, but they're meant to, as the Lord continues to anoint you and he continues to teach you, because this is what it's all about. Into me see. Intimacy. 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 Our hearts are ravished. Our hearts are ravished. You say we're ravenously hungry. And we are ravenously hungry and thirsty. We eat your flesh and we drink the cup. And we say, we will. If you are ready to say this, tell him this morning. It may not be your time, but for those of you who are ready to say, I will drink this cup. Even Jesus said, if this cup could pass before me. But there's times that we have that in the seasons of our lives. But he said, never Never mind what I'm saying and asking you for. Not my will, but thine be done. I hear the Spirit speaking to you, this word to you, Holly, and it applies to all of us. You're misinterpreted. You're misunderstood. They don't get it. She's weird. I don't get her. I don't get all this Jewish stuff. Well, you don't get it because it isn't Jewish. It's for the sons. It's for the bride. It's for the overcomers. It's for the barley company. That first fruit offering that was waved on the day of resurrection when he rose and went to heaven before they could touch him and he came back. And then they let him touch him. And, he, and, and God decreed, my son is alive. Yes. This is who this anointing is for. And so we receive this fire. Holly, Holly, you're going to, you've already begun to, to meet people this week.
that understand your weirdness. You are the accepted of the beloved. You are accepted, and you're going to continue to grow in that circle of people that God has called to this walk. So may you walk forward, may the anointing and the protection of God and a fiery hedge be about you and your husband. Let him continue to refine you because, yeah, there's always things we think we know and we don't, and he's going to start touching your heart. I see you bowing before him. I see you casting some things before him as he comes to correct and redirect and show you the way as you spoke yourself. He is the most awesome teacher. Holy Spirit, Jesus, Father, come. We all receive this word. Just bless. Reach out. Give you all the glory. Help her disappear into you. Help her walk in complete humility. Loving to give you glory. Help her see what you're doing. Say what you're saying, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love the Lord. reach up. Everybody just reach up and make that last grab holding on moment is touch him, lay hold of him like you never have before. Worship, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you. Oh, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you. We will make ourselves ready.
Amen. I feel like I'm supposed to say something, and uh, you know the Bible says that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, and that uh, Jesus said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, so uh, I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants to remind us, you're not the ocean, (laughs) you're one of the rivers, (laughs) you're not going to do the whole thing by yourself, so never get to thinking you're the ocean. Just be one of the rivers, rejoice in all the other rivers, and together we'll, uh, the, the Lord will fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord. So let's thank God for all the beautiful rivers he's raising up. Let's never think we're the ocean. Be faithful, be the river you're created to be. Rejoice in all the other beautiful rivers God's bringing forth. Be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. Hallelujah to Jesus. And we want to walk in absolute humility till we just basically disappear into him. And then that's what we want. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So we thank you, Lord. We do. We thank you for this. It's precious. I love these times. We're going to go, and anybody that's here is welcome to come over to the house and have lunch with us if you'd like to. Um, Just be mindful of the ministries. I know we're all getting tired. We're kind of in that middle part of the feast. We've got some rich things, treasures from heaven. Tomorrow morning, Betty will be ministering at the workshop, and she'll be uh, sharing some of that time with Karen, and they can work that out. And then we'll have a Friday morning workshop as well. So be sure and save your time so you're not too tired. Make sure you get rest, okay? I want to share her ordination. Her father gave her away to the Word. Her brother did the sacrament, just like what she's saying. It was, And she chose to have it under this awesome tree, in front of a big lake of water. And it's the most awesome thing. Her mother, her father, her brother, all of them was part of this ordination. And it was that she, and I married her to the Word of God. And it was the most awesome thing you've ever experienced. I mean, it was a Jewish <laughs> type of thing. Everything was done, and it was so holy and so awesome. Uh, we have been hearing this every... I try to get the students, I'll go around the room and say, read. And they'll read and I'll say, what are you getting out of this? Come on, give me something. Well, I started this with her and she started coming out with all this. She knows who was talking, what they done in that land, all about it. And she would come in and say, this is why they're saying so and so. It was just so awesome. We've had three years of this. She has been taught this from the time she was a little child and had to quote scriptures. These children in our church has to get up and quote a whole chapter, little boys, little boys and girls. And, and our Royal Rogers is something like, yes. So she's been in this in the church, but her parents 
her daddy looks like Moses. He's got the, he, he's like a to pastor. He's one of the most most prominent, like a, a high priestess or something. You know, I mean, he's just so knowledgeable of the Word of God and and so inspiring to all of us. And her, her mother, uh, she redone our book on Jesus's life. You know, and she taught in the school too. So I'm trying to get Holly to teach her own book, her own words of all of this that you know and she knows you know in the school, her day that she's going to do that. And different teachers are starting to teach in the school. We're going to make it a full-fledged college. Your college is the same thing, and when it's credited, yours will be credited here too. Thank you for sharing that. Amen. We'll see you back here at oh, oh no, we'll see you back here at five fifteen for the uh, potluck and more food. This is the season of fat, fe- fe- feasting. The fasting days are kind of ended around the atonement, so <laughs> but let's feast on the word. Keep expanding your belt here so you can receive more from the spiritual food from heaven. Thank you, precious John. And just do whatever you want here. Spend time with God, whatever you want. We bless you all. We'll see you tonight around 515.